0: Welcome back to Over My Dead Pod. I'm Kylie Caldwell. This is Kate Carter. This is Holly Spear. Today, I'm going to tell you a story that has been keeping me up at night since I heard about it from a TikTok, actually, but we have a lot to get through. So let's jump into June of 2011 at Indiana University in Bloomington, Indiana, to discuss the unsolved disappearance of Lauren Spearer. I'm very excited for this one. On the night of June 3rd, 2011, Jesse Wolf was at his apartment watching TV and texting his girlfriend of three years, Lauren Spearer. Lauren was at her apartment with some friends, drinking wine and watching basketball. As it was getting late, Lauren told Jesse she was going to bed. Jesse responded saying goodnight and to give him a call when she woke up in the morning. The following morning on the 4th, Jesse texted Lauren, but instead of getting a response from her, he got from an employee at Kilroy Sports Bar saying Lauren had left her phone there the night before. Jesse had no idea she had even gone out. Jesse quickly rounded up a group of Lauren's friends to search for her. No one had heard from her. No one had seen her. And later that afternoon, Jesse reported Lauren missing to the Bloomington Police Department. So just for a little background information on Lauren, She was born on January 17, 1991, making her 20 years old at the time of this. Lauren grew up in Scarsdale, New York with her sister and parents, Charlene and Robert. After high school, Lauren enrolled at Indiana University, majoring in textile merchandising. Lauren was very active in the Jewish community. She often volunteered in Israel for the Jewish National Fund, and she spent many summer camps at Camp Tawanda in Pennsylvania, which is where she met her boyfriend, Jesse. It's also where she met a bunch of good friends, including a friend named Jay Rosenbaum, who will come up in just a little bit. So now that we know a little bit about Lauren, let's go back to the case. The day after Lauren was reported missing, her parents arrived from New York. By the next day, Lauren was trending on Twitter. Celebrities like Kim Kardashian and Ryan Seacrest even tweeted about her. By the 6th, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children led a search with hundreds of volunteers in Bloomington and surrounding areas but nothing of interest was found. By the 7th, the Bloomington Police Department executed a search warrant at Lauren's apartment complex, Smallwood Plaza Apartments, seeking security footage. From this security footage and witness accounts, police were able to piece together a timeline of the events from the night before. So at the time, none of this was public information and only like bits and pieces had been like confirmed by police. So you're going to have to use your detective skills to break this down. Also, police have never released this footage. They've only released like one single still frame of the footage. I always hate when they do that, but it's for an obvious, it's for a reason, you know, at least I'd hope so. Yeah. And you'll see this entire case. They, they really don't say much. But they have figured out that at 1230 a.m., after Lauren had texted Jesse saying she was going to bed, security footage showed her leaving her apartment with her friend, David Rone. We now know that Lauren and David walked two blocks North to five North town homes, which is the apartment that Jay Rosenbaum lived in. He's the friend from summer camp. So there was a little pregame at Jay's apartment with about 10 people there. This included Lauren, David, Jay, and Jay's neighbor, Corey Rossman. At 1:46 a.m., Lauren was seen on security footage entering Kilroy Sports Bar. I couldn't figure out who she went to the bar with, so I'm assuming if it wasn't everyone at the pregame, it must have been most people there, or at least some of the people there. Did you say this? But I assume she walked, right? Yeah, so this is all walking. We do know that at 2.27 a.m., Lauren was seen leaving with Corey Rossman on foot. Lauren had left her phone and shoes at the bar. Apparently the bar had a, like, sand-covered patio in the back, so just to paint a picture, all of this takes place within like a three-block radius. The boys' apartments are directly two blocks up from Lauren's apartment, and the bar is like a half-block diagonally like southeast from Lauren's apartment. Only three minutes after leaving the bar, Lauren was spotted entering her apartment complex. It was there where a guy named Zach Oaks noticed she was drunk and asked if she was okay. Police and the public later learned that Zach Oaks was a friend of Lauren's boyfriend, Jesse. They also found out that... Corey Rossman had no recollection of the night after this point, because according to Corey and his attorney, he doesn't remember anything after this because he was punched in the face. Oh, okay. Corey has never named who punched him or said anything about an altercation other than the fact he was punched. But a friend of his did tell a local newspaper, quote, he knows that he got into a fight with some of Jesse's friends in Smallwood, end quote. So Smallwood is Lauren's apartment complex. At 2.48 a.m., security cameras showed Lauren and Corey leaving the apartments and entering an alley between College Avenue and Morton Street, back alley between the buildings of the block where the boys' apartments are. Apparently, Lauren stumbled and fell twice, dropping and leaving her keys and purse in the alley during the walk. A few minutes later, the pair can be seen walking towards Corey's apartment with Lauren over Corey's shoulder, so he was carrying her at this point. Around 3 a.m., Corey's roommate, Michael Beth, said the two entered the apartment. According to Michael, they were both very intoxicated and Corey had even vomited on the carpet at one point. Michael said he put Corey to bed, then tried to convince Lauren to stay over and sleep it off on the couch. Lauren refused and said she wanted to go home. At 3.30 a.m., Michael Beth called the neighbor and mutual friend, Jay Rosenbaum, asking him to take care of Lauren. At some point, Lauren did walk over to Jay's apartment and he noticed she had a bruise under her eye. Jay said Lauren used his phone to call two people who he doesn't know who they were, but that they didn't answer. Lauren then decided she wasn't done partying and left Jay's apartment. According to Jay, he watched from his balcony as Lauren walked away to the intersection of 11th Street and College Avenue. This intersection, while it's not exactly like the opposite direction of Lauren's apartment, it's not the way she, came to the apartment and it's just slightly out of the way yeah Doesn't, like it's not how she would get home so if lauren were headed home i think and if her mind was like clear and not to know where to go she was going like the furthest route possible but at this moment she's also from what we know walking by herself walking by herself very intoxicated very very late so with no keys purse phone barefoot wearing black leggings and a white t-shirt. This was the last time Lauren was ever seen again. Searches continued for several days throughout Bloomington and surrounding areas, including nearby Lake Monroe, with nothing coming up. By the 9th, now six days since Lauren was last seen with no hints, Lauren's family offered a $100,000 reward. Indianapolis Colts owner and the Indiana University also contributed. It wasn't until after Lauren's family appeared on the Today Show and a segment about the case appeared on America's Most Wanted. Police started releasing some information publicly. So this is when they started slightly releasing tidbits of the security footage, but at this point, they really hadn't said much. They also only said that Lauren had left her apartment at 1230 on June 3rd. They also announced they have 10 persons of interest. So these people included Jay Rosenbaum, the friend who saw Lauren last leaving his apartment, David Roan, the friend Lauren went to the pregame with, Corey Rossman, the friend who walked Lauren home and then to his apartment, Michael Beth, who is Corey's roommate, and Jesse Wolf, Lauren's boyfriend. Corey Rossman and Michael Beth both immediately voluntarily submitted DNA to the police. Which doesn't mean anything at this point because there is no DNA to compare with, let alone a crime scene. And according to his attorneys, Jay Rosenbaum passed a polygraph test, but police have never commented on whether or not this is true. Jesse Wolf, the boyfriend, has never submitted DNA or taken a polygraph. And in fact, a couple of days after Lauren was reported missing, Jesse's parents came to get him and bring him home to Long Island. Sounds like a mommy and daddy rescue. I've narrowed it down to four theories. Four theories. Four theories. Okay. Two of which I give a little more credit to. Two I'm not so sure on. I don't know what to call the first theory other than Jesse Wolf. There are some rumors online that Jesse was upset that Lauren went out that night after she told him she was going to sleep. Maybe he wasn't just mad about her going out, but also her going out with a group of guys. Maybe he was mad she was alone with one of the boys. There are also rumors that Jesse sent friends to confront Lauren, like his friend, Zach Oaks, the one who maybe punched Corey in the face, allegedly. This is one I don't think is believable at all because no one saw him out that night. Police have never said anything about him being out that night. And I don't think he would have known Lauren was out until his friends saw them in the apartment complex. It later. would have been really late timing. And I feel like somebody also would have seen him, like as they'd like point, you know, point that out. Yeah, so see, say we have the security footage of Lauren and these other guys, but we don't have anyone else, including Jesse on them. Right. And I also find it, like, highly improbable that Jesse, I don't know if by chance, caught Lauren after she had left the apartment, like, right after her last sighting. Just just walking on her own. Yeah. Yeah. Just happened to catch her. She didn't have a cell phone. Had no idea that she would be there. Jesse has never spoken publicly about Lauren or her disappearance, but his parents sure have. Jesse's mother, Nadine Wolf told a newspaper, quote, this poor little girl is not with us today because of her drug abuse. Oh, what? Wait, his she parents to... said
1: this? hmm Is she a drug? Is that something amiss? Is she a drug user?
0: That's what we're going to get into. Okay. Nadine also went on to say, if Jesse was guilty of anything, he was guilty of taking care of Lauren, who had some serious drug issues. She would abuse to the point where she would black out. Jessie always started to call and tell her parents, and she said, if you do... I'll break up with you, end quote. Time for a little theory number two, which is one of the ones I give a little credit to. This theory being that Lauren had an accidental overdose, which was covered up. Oh, okay. Whoa. Okay. So Jay Rosenbaum has come forward saying that on the night of her disappearance, Lauren was drinking. and She also used cocaine and colonopin. The reason why I find this a little believable is because after Lauren's disappearance, police searched her dorm room, and they did find a small amount of cocaine in there. It is what it is. It is what yeah. it is. Other people online have pointed to the fact that Lauren was arrested on charges of public intoxication and illegal consumption a year prior in 2010, but I mean I don't think that's indicative of anything. Like it's college, everyone's going to drink underage. Yeah. What does add weight to this theory is the fact that Lauren had something called long QT syndrome, a rare heart condition that causes fast chaotic heartbeats and arrhythmia. So this can be like deadly as is, but it's exasperated with drug use, especially with drugs that raise your heart rate, like like cocaine, like (laughs) cocaine. Wait a minute now. But she, and she knew, she knew this, this was, yeah, she knew she had this. There is one alleged witness who adds some more credibility. His name is Corey Hammersley. So Corey Hammersley was a fellow student who was at the pregame that night at the apartment. And he had a reputation of being deep in the local drug scene. One day, I don't know if it was like months or years later, whatever, Corey had a drug-induced psychosis and started shooting into a house while completely naked. So while Corey was in prison for this, Lauren's story was on the TV. Corey allegedly turned to the guy next to him and said, quote, Man, I knew the guys that did that. They were drinking and doing ecstasy. She OD'd. It scared them. They didn't know what to do with her, and they took her down to the Ohio River and got rid of her, disposed of her body, end quote. Interesting. So he told his prison mate this story, and he was fully in prison or jail or whatever while this disappearance was happening. Like, he wasn't out and about. No, so he was there at that pregame that night at the apartment he was in prison later i couldn't find the exact times he was in prison how much Mm -hmm. later but he did know lauren even if it was just for that night police did try to interview Corey about a statement that night but he has refused to talk citing the fact that he does not snitch oh he ain't no snitch so lauren's family did hire a pretty famous private investigator named bo deedle who doesn't believe this theory at all bo deedle (laughs) bo deedle (laughs) i know who bo deedle is uh-uh. I figured you would. He comes up so much. Yeah. 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 He is a private investigator. He's out of California. I think now, at least. I don't know. 10 years ago, but I know Bo Deedle. Interesting. He's a he's an interesting one. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't believe this theory of like an accidental, accidental overdose and a cover up. But the only thing I could find why he doesn't is because he said of the drug prevalence on the Indiana University campus. I kind of took that to mean like people wouldn't think they'd get in trouble for their friend overdosing and dying because it's like a known issue. Yeah. I don't find that very credible. No, but I also, college students could potentially think anything. So like. Yeah. I mean,
1: maybe if they were also high, got scared, but. Or on ecstasy. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah that's true. If they were also under the influence. For Yes. Yes. Lauren's family is, also doesn't believe this, and they refute any reports that Lauren was a drug addict or that she used drugs that night. They have said that they are, quote, appalled that the Wolves have defamed their daughter knowing Lauren will never have the opportunity to respond, end quote. So with that, I'll say, as with any victim, no matter what they've done or if they were under the influence of something, they're still a victim. Whether Lauren was involuntary drugged or often abused drugs, Whether she was murdered or died from an overdose that was covered up, she's still a victim. While Lauren's family doesn't believe in the accidental overdose theory, they have publicly stated they are suspicious of the boys because they have refused to take police-issued polygraphs, and they retain lawyers as soon as Lauren was reported missing. All the boys and their families rebutted this, saying they took FBI and privately administered polygraphs. They retain lawyers because they don't trust the Bloomington Police Department, which I couldn't really figure out why. I don't think it's that weird i don't know what do you guys think if you were the last person to be seen with someone who went missing without a trace i would get an attorney is that what you were going to ask because that's it that's what i would do there's yeah. no i wouldn't talk to anybody even if i was not get like had nothing to do with it i absolutely would i would be like mouth is shut getting an attorney i would be scared shitless yeah also never volunteer for a polygraph people like if we haven't talked about that enough on this podcast never volunteer for one because you're going to end up getting charged with something that you didn't do. Like that's just, polygraphs are not reliable in any fashion. The one thing I'm having trouble with and giving a lot of weight to this theory is the fact that Lauren or her body have not been found. So every single one of the boys mentioned thus far does not have a criminal history. Not only has no evidence or body been found, but none of them have slipped up and cracked you know what I am putting a little weight on, and I know you said theory one, you kind of knocked it out, but, like, I'm a little sketched out that her boyfriend really hasn't talked about stuff and that his parents went and, like, chat on her and her drug abuse, you know, and stuff like that. Like, I would think if these four other guys, like, got lawyered up, didn't want to be a part of it, to this day, they still haven't said anything about the case. Like, I would assume as her partner he would be out there like with her parents, you know? Yeah, see, that's sketchy to me also. But then I think, I feel like the police would have honed in on him. Right. And he had no background? No. I don't know. Okay, we all three went to different colleges. And so it definitely depends on your university and whatnot. I went to a university that was very prevalent in the marijuana game and ecstasy drugs sort of like that type. Like a lot of people did that. It was a very hippie town. I right off the bat would like, if I I'm just thinking of like guys in college that went to my college. If this happened to them, how freaked out and could they have potentially dumped the body and like the river and stuff like that. Probably like when you're on drugs, especially stuff that like messes with your mind and thinks, you know, like pushes things all out of control. Like they easily could have done something and they're making a pact to never talk about it. But then also like if they were on drugs, you'd think somebody at some point would slip up like somewhere down the line. And my whole thing is I'm sure the police have already like gone into their phone records to see if like anyone like called or texted Texted. each other, like in the group whatever of course they have not said anything publicly about this or even if the boyfriend jesse wolf had found out she had gone out and was mad about it that's a very like, normal call like if he was possessive you're in a college town and obviously like mutual friends saw her out like told jesse that she was out that happens all the time And there would be records of that yeah and i also feel like downtown where she was at too like there had has to be security footage of like a lot of different things so like if he was driving in his car like looking for her and picked her up there'd probably be a camera somewhere that caught it i don't know Um, i don't know people seem to be split on whether or not lauren was voluntarily intoxicated or not and some rumors have sprouted that lauren may have possibly been roofied at the bar that night and lauren's family has have come forward and say they believe she could have been drugged at kilroy's Police did look into this and announced they started an investigation into Coe, where sports bar. They ended up with just signing the bar for letting Lauren in with a fake ID. But police did start a checkpoint at the intersection of College Avenue and 11th Street, where Lauren was last seen. Stopping cars and asking if they had seen her that night. They also showed drivers photos of a white truck that was seen on security footage traveling in that area within 10 minutes of Lauren going missing. Obviously, they know who her boyfriend Jesse is. They knew all the guys that she was seen with that night. Like, they have their vehicle information. So I'm assuming none of their vehicles were spotted on security footage. But this white truck ended up being a dead end as the truck and driver were located and cleared. But by this point, almost a month after Lauren was seen, it seems like police and everyone searching have zero leads. Search groups searched nearby woods, alleys, abandoned buildings, and even the landfill miles south where the trash from Bloomington is taken. On June 24th, 2011, police gave their last media briefing. They said they finished interviewing Lauren's friends and families and concluded the briefing with announcing they are ending the searches. This was only 20 days after Lauren was reported missing. That's crazy. And this was 2011? Mm Mm-hmm. So the very last thing we have gotten from police came in February of 2016. I will say it's not even the police. This came from the Monroe County judge. He told a local newspaper that anything that may have been discovered during the searches will remain hidden from the public unless criminal charges are filed. So while nothing has been made public about what they found, if anything, we can't technically say nothing's been found. But what we can do is try to decipher the police's movements in the case and who and where they look since then. Now we're going to get into theory number three, which is the stranger abduction. So this is another theory that the family isn't huge on, but their private investigator, Bo Deedle is leaning towards. Bo Deedle. Bo It's a fun name. Bo He's a, everybody needs to look him up. There's a lot of interesting things about him. So take this with a grain of salt, but Jay Rosenbaum reportedly told Bo that he watched Lauren leave and walk four blocks from his apartment and may possibly have seen an individual cross paths with her. So this contradicts his previous statement where he said he last saw her at the intersection right outside of his apartment. The reason why I say to take this with a grain of salt is because I don't think he could have seen four blocks from his apartment in any direction. Even in broad daylight, you cannot see four blocks from that apartment balcony. There's no way at night, let's just say that. Like impossible i i can't i'm really bad with telling distance i have no idea but i feel like at night like past a block especially if it's like woodsy which it kind of looks like there's trees and what i mean there is there's there's trees there's tall buildings yeah i'm gonna go with bullshit police did look into a few people as persons of interest and based off of these tips of a stranger abduction Um, Some of these aren't really worth talking about because it seems like everyone in Indiana got named at some point, like a local biker gang member who was accused of the crime by, like, a rival gang, ex-boyfriends and girlfriends. One guy the police did talk about with some interest is a man named James McClish, a man who was recently released from prison for assault. So, at the time of Lauren's disappearance, James was living in a halfway house about 10 minutes away from that intersection. James also drove a white truck, like the one seen in the security footage. Hmm... So police did say like they found the driver of that truck and cleared him, but they never named who it was. Spoiler, they also cleared James. So I don't know if it like actually was James's truck. But James came into the police's radar after several women came forward to report some things James had said. Allegedly, James made a comment saying, quote, you know what happened to Lauren, the same thing could happen to you. End quote. And he also allegedly said he killed Lauren and buried her on a farm in southern Indiana. James did pass a polygraph clearing his name. But police still ended up searching a farm, but this one was 20 miles north of Bloomington in Martinsville, Indiana. In January of 2016, police searched the farm, only ever publicly stated they were, quote, following up on leads and tips in Morgan County regarding the disappearance of Lauren Spearer. Local reporters found out the property was connected to a man named Justin Wagers, who was known as the local flasher. A great reputation to have in your small town. Yeah. Yeah. Reporters saw police search the property with cadaver dogs, who reportedly indicated to potential evidence. Reporters also saw investigators dig up a few areas and tow away a white truck. So we have not heard anything about the search from police since it was conducted, but we can only assume there hasn't been anything of substance since, spoiler alert, no arrest yet. I looked it up because I was curious. Stranger abduction and murder make up like less than 10% of all murders? Really? I definitely thought it would have been higher. The number one category is actually, obviously, like, romantic partners. Yeah. And the second is family members. Oh. Third is, like, friends, acquaintances, or whatever. Or just someone you know. Yeah. And dead last is complete strangers. Interesting. But it's not entirely unheard of or implausible. Lauren was alone, walking down the street very late at night intoxicated and with no phone or a way to defend yourself so i do have one last theory i don't know if you guys are ready what if i said this wasn't the last time an indiana university student went missing after leaving kilroy sports bar yes i was waiting for this yes yes holly doesn't know this no this is this is good this is good stuff okay go ahead kylie tell us what you got On April 24th, 2015, Hannah Wilson had just finished her last college exam ever. Excited to graduate and start her new job, Hannah had a night planned out to celebrate with friends. Along with two friends, Hannah started the night drinking at home, then at a local hotel where one of the friends was staying. Around 12.45 a.m., the trio headed to Kilroy Sports Bar. However, before entering the bar, Hannah's friends realized she was too drunk to continue on with the night. Being good friends, they put her in a cab and sent her home. The cab driver later reported he saw her walk to the house she shared with the roommate. The roommate also reported hearing the front door open around 1 a.m., but she did not leave her room to see if it was Hannah or not. The next morning, the roommate woke up to find the front door wide open. She walked into Hannah's room and only saw her phone and purse on her still-made bed, but no Hannah. Around the same time, Police located Hannah's body in Brown County, about 30 minutes east of Bloomington. Good news is that the investigation had a conclusion within minutes, and that is because Hannah's killer dropped and left his cell phone at her feet. Police traced the phone to 50-year-old Daniel Messel and went straight to his home, where he was found carrying a bag of clothing covered in blood. A search of his car also revealed a large amount of blood that matched Hannah's DNA. At Daniel's trial we found out that he was at a trivia night at a bar a few minutes away from Hannah's house. We also found out that unfortunately Hannah was bludgeoned to death. What we don't know is how the two crossed paths or what the motive even was. So my kind of theory is that Hannah did walk into her house that night. I guess went outside like for smoke or something whatever went outside and at the same time just happened to cross paths with Daniel as he was leaving trivia It's weird. He's never said anything publicly, so we don't really even know. But he was convicted and sentenced to 80 years in prison. After his sentencing, an anonymous victim came forward and told police that Hannah's assault resembled hers years prior. The victim said that Daniel offered her a ride, drove her to a secluded parking lot, beat, and sexually assaulted her. After the assault, the victim did report it to police who were able to obtain a DNA sample. I don't know why after Daniel's arrest for the murder of Hannah, they didn't run the DNA to compare it to other unsolved cases. Mm -hmm. But they did after this anonymous victim came forward and and it was a match. He was was in prison when he was also named as a rapist. Yep. Wow. He was then put on trial again for this assault and received another 15 years in prison. Police ended up locating five different women who had been harassed by Daniel. They have not stated exactly what they mean by harassment, so I won't speculate. I am going to have to shoot on the police a little bit here because they knew about Daniel Messel Mm -hmm. before Hannah Wilson was murdered. An inmate named David Hayden told his prison counselor and wrote several letters to the police and to the courts about things Daniel Messel had told him. David claims that he met Daniel in prison in the late 90s which reporters have confirmed they were in the same prison at the same time. David said years later in 2005, he ran into Daniel at a bar and the two started hanging out regularly. One night at a bar in Bloomington, David claims that Daniel confided that he would sometimes cruise students' apartments and sorority houses wearing a campus security logo on it. David wrote in one of his letters that he commented on how many college girls he'd see passed out. Daniel allegedly bragged about driving a drunk girl home sexually assaulting her, and leaving her in someone's front yard. David Hayden also claims to have helped dispose of a woman's decomposing body in 2012. So this is one year after Lauren's disappearance. Davis said the woman had an Indiana University campus debit card and a driver's license with the name Rebecca. Lauren's older sister's name is Rebecca. And she needed a fake ID to get into Kilroy's. And a year after her death, her body would be decomposing by that point. David Hayden has stated he has pictures of the ID, the clothing, and the body in a safe place he's keeping for the police. When asked about all this, the Bloomington Police Department did not respond. Of course they didn't respond. The Brown County District Attorney, Ted Adams, has described Daniel as having a zone of danger. This zone encompasses a square west to Walnut Street, east to Dunn Street, south to Kirkwood Street, and north to 10th Street. Lawrence Spear was last seen on 11th Street. Heading south towards 10th Street, her apartment was almost directly in the middle of this zone of danger. The Brown County DA believes Lauren was a victim of Daniel Messel, having said the following, quote, I have been consistent with my belief regarding Daniel Messel's possible involvement with Lauren Spear's disappearance. I believe that in my personal appearance, her disappearance is consistent with Daniel Messel's modus operandi. I am not a part of the Lauren Spear investigation. I'm sure there are theories and persons of interest. I additionally readily admit that I have absolute tunnel vision regarding Daniel Messel due to learning about him during my 16 months of trial preparation for Hannah Wilson's murder. I believe he absolutely could have been responsible for Lauren Spears' disappearance. Before I ask you opinion on Daniel being involved, I feel like this one's pretty likely. I don't think he would have been caught had he not left his cell phone at Hannah Wilson's feet. 100%. I agree. Yep. He did leave the DNA, at least with the one anonymous victim, but they had no one to match it to. He's had countless other victims, I mean, at least assault wise, and they had no idea he existed until he left his cell phone. I think it's very likely, very likely theory. I believe it's him. I believe that the police haven't come forward, though, because there's literally no evidence. They have no body. They have well, from what we know, you know, Mm -hmm. like they have no body. They have no crime scene. She just was on a street and then she wasn't on a street anymore. So they can't say anything towards him since they don't have any evidence. But now that they have his DNA, I would say they need to start like checking places like her house, which they've probably already done, but he probably wasn't there. There's a, I feel like there's a good chance she was picked up on a street. She was in this zone of danger. She's walking at night, whether she got into the car voluntarily or not. Right. It was just like perfect crossing a pass. Yeah. A college area like this where it's apartments and bars is a perfect hunting ground. It really is. I I just don't like him. So like he gives me all the red flags. I definitely think it's Daniel. Thinking at the beginning of this case, I think I was thinking this was Hannah. And so I think I've actually heard the story of Hannah. And Mm -hmm. that's what I was kind of trying to piece together. So as soon as you popped him up on the slideshow, that's why I was like, oh. Yes, this makes, okay, in my head this makes sense, but this was later on. This was 2015? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I did not hear about the inmate, like, the letters and everything, which I find that super suspicious, especially since there was a lot of information in it. I get it happens a lot with, like, inmates accusing other inmates if they have, you know, B for issues of crimes or saying, like, oh, hey, they've told me this, or whatever, yeah, or they've confessed me to me. It. Yeah, but, like, He claims to have photos. Either he does or he doesn't. Just check. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: While it may seem the case has gone cold with no really any publicly released evidence pointing in any certain direction and no named suspects, Bloomington Police Chief Michael Dykoff has stated, quote, many times we are asked if Lauren's case is a cold case and our answer is an unequivocal no, end quote. None of the boys with Lauren that night or her boyfriend have spoken publicly since the early days of the investigation. Lauren's family continues to post updates and important information on FindLauren.com or on Twitter at NewsOnLaurenS. Lauren's mom also shares posts about grief and the immense sadness and not having any answers related to the disappearance of her daughter. I do have some good news. On July 1st, 2012, Indiana enacted the Lifeline Law. So this law grants immunity from certain charges, like public intoxication and minor consumption, to those who call 911 when a friend has ingested a dangerous amount of alcohol. And since then, there's 43 states that have similar laws or pending bills to the same effect. But before we go, at the time of Lauren's disappearance, she was 4 foot 11, 95 pounds, blonde hair and blue eyes. She was last seen barefoot, wearing black leggings and a plain white T-shirt. If you have any information, please check out findlauren.com where you can find contact information for the Bloomington Police Department, Bo Deedle, Indiana University Police, and anonymous tip line options. She was freaking tiny. Teeter. 4'11"? 4'11", 95 pounds. Holly, how tall are you? Like five, but one. You a small girl. girl. Not to sound sketchy, but like if Holly was blacked out- walking in barefoot in downtown little rock with no cell phone or anything how easy would it be to be able to get holly yeah i could scoop up holly myself me too like we easily on, on foot i could take holly on foot even a car and she don't even need her cell phone she loses that shit everywhere so like yeah think about like if he was in a car you know how easy that would have been she probably didn't even need to be coerced i totally think it was daniel i do yeah I wish we knew more information about the guy that, like, leaked saying that he had info. Like, I wish there was follow-up on it. Who knows? Maybe there was. Like, the police said, I mean, they said that we're not, we have more information. We're just not going to really release it until someone's charged. Well, are they even going to charge someone who's now has a prison sentence of 95 years or whatever it was? Yeah. I would hope so. I yeah, I'd hope so. If it is him and they do believe it's him, at least name him. Right. Yeah. At minimum. How sad is that, though? Like, there's a good chance they're not going to get closure on that. Unless there's physical evidence. Yeah. He's not going to say anything. I mean, he's he's already in there forever. So, like, if he gets charged with another thing, he might face death row at some point, you know?
1: I feel like it is plausible that she did the whole drug thing. I don't know. It's I, I could see it, you know? But I think it's really weird that no one has cracked.
0: Right. The yeah. yeah. his friends. But then again they're college age you know they're not the kids from my last story last week that were babies they're 20 24 years old and if some shit happened while they were on drugs they might not even remember it like they're just like we're never gonna say anything i don't know i think i mean think about all the cops that like you know are like oh you can have immunity
1: if you just tell you know right i just feel like i feel like somebody would have cracked somewhere
0: even if they didn't like crack in the sense of like talking to the police about it, to have no trace of like text right or like cell phone conversations, they're just like there 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 had yeah. to have been evidence if it was them. If you're yeah. stupid
1: enough to do that, you're stupid enough to like leave something behind.
0: Especially if they were also using drugs, which they probably were. It, it's very common for a friend group. One I mean, person you don't just doing sit it. around
1: and watch one person do drugs, you know?
0: Right. And with that, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Over My Dead Pod. If you want even more information, including photos and sources of the case, you can check out our blog on overmydeadpod.com. Be sure to leave us a review wherever you're listening to this and check us out on social media at overmydeadpod. We'll see you next week. Bye. 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 Now we're going to jump right into this week's segment of Overtime. I'm going to go ahead and start us off. An Ohio woman t- was sentenced to 15 years to life in prison for the July 2022 crash when she deliberately slammed her car into a brick wall going 100 miles per hour. This killed her boyfriend and his friend. This Ohio resident's name is Mackenzie Shirilla She's 19 years old, and she was found guilty today on charges of murder, felonious assault, aggravated vehicular homicide drug possession, and possession of criminal tools. Trilla was 17 at the time of the crash, and this happened in Cleveland in a suburb of Strongsville. On that day, she made what the county judge Russo called a selfish, intentional, and cruel decision. There's only one person who's responsible for the pain of every person in this room, and that is you, Mackenzie, the judge said. Nobody else is responsible. The 19-year-old was tried as an adult, as she should, somehow was spared consecutive sentences in the case, even though what she did killed two people. Judge said that instead the sentences for the deaths of the boyfriend and his friend would be concurrent judge went on to say that i understand the pain in this room wants me to impose the harshest sentence but i don't believe that would be the appropriate sentence because i do not believe that mckenzie will be out in 15 years in any way shape or form so though she was sentenced 15 years to life it seems like she will probably be in there for a long time something that kind of like makes me question everything is like she was driving this car she had her boyfriend in the passenger seat and then the boyfriend's friend was sitting behind in the passenger backseat. So like she somehow don't even understand how like people were able to say this, but purposefully slammed her car into a brick wall or a wall going hundred miles per hour and was able to kill them, but save her own life. And it came out somehow in court documents that she had done it on purpose And that she was purposely trying to kill her boyfriend and his friend out of jealousy. Jealous of what? Don't know. I just don't know how (laughs) that's like at what there had to have obviously been something that made her. Well, we don't know. Now, I'm going to assume possession of criminal tools would be her using the car as a weapon. It might be go with the drugs like you can get. Usually it's like paraphernalia, but sometimes it's criminal tools for like a crack pipe. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting things in this story. I just heard of it today, had not heard of the crash, don't understand how she was able to save herself, but purposely killed two others. Very interesting. But according to the judge, they don't believe that Mackenzie will be out in 15 years, though her sentence is 15 years to life. I will not keep you updated on this one because I hope she stays in there for life. Yeah, if we're still going in fifteen years, we'll give an update. Yeah, we'll let you know. We'll let you know. And in- we have a killer on the loose, guys. I don't know. Maybe that's not news. Cause wait a minute, there's a lot. But, so on August fifth, Rachel Marin, I think it's pronounced Marin. She's a thirty-seven year old mother of five in Bel Air, Maryland. She left her home on Saturday night. She went. She's a big like fitness fanatic. She went to go for a run on a trail. She didn't come home. So her boyfriend reported her missing. There were searches at the trail, and they found her body. And I guess it was in a pretty bad state because police were immediately like homicide. So it's homicide. Mm. And so they were asking people who were at the trail that day, you know, if they saw anything weird, saw anybody. They asked people who lived around the, the trail if they had like security footage on their houses. Nothing was really coming up. And then all of a sudden this past week, they announced that they had a DNA match to a suspect of a home invasion and assault that was in Los Angeles Excuse me, on, on the-, the other side. Literal other side of the country, there's security footage of this man leaving the house. So they have video footage of this man, they have his DNA. They do not know who he is. Wait, leaving they have footage of him leaving what house? The house where the home invasion and rape was in Los Angeles. In LA. It, okay, okay. In LA. So they have like a ring doorbell. You can if you Google Rachel M-O-R-I-N, you can see the video of him like leaving this house um shirtless. But he's described as five foot nine, 160 pounds, a 20 to 30 year old Hispanic male with dark hair and a muscular frame. And what's scary is police think that he may be responsible for violent crimes across the country, obviously. Oh, I don't know if that's, they have like possible links. Or if that's just the vibe, shout out to CODIS and DNA matching that. And that's like, if you really look into that story, I mean, I know there's not much out right now, but she has like multiple kids, like she's a mom. So she's got like multiple kids, full family, five kids. Yeah. Like it's very sad.
1: Okay, so July 2020 in Connecticut, police were called for a home check of a person that was believed to be missing. Police would later find out that the woman had requested a month off from work. Police searched for her for two months. Um, her name is Rachel S-E-B-E-T-L-E-L-A. Um, I think her family is from South Africa, so I think that's um, maybe where the last name comes from. It's really hard. I'm not even going to try to say it. She was reported missing when she stopped communicating with her boyfriend in New York, stopped communicating with her roommate and her family from South Africa. Investigators would then learn of a relationship between her and someone named Miles Johnson. On September 12, 2020, a hiker in Black Rock State Park would come across the headless body of a woman wrapped in blankets and a garbage bag. Feet, legs, and wrists were bound with duct tape and the body turned out to be Rachel. Two people are being prosecuted for her murder. Cassandra Nazario was sentenced to 25 years in prison for the stabbing and beheading. She has a co-conspirator, Miles Johnson. Nazario, I think that's how you say it, cooperating with police and has testified against Johnson and this month on August 2nd, Johnson was convicted of first-degree burglary, tampering with evidence, conspiracy to commit burglary, and conspiracy to commit tampering with evidence. The motive seems to be that there was a relationship between Rachel and Miles Johnson, and police discovered that Nazario had, I guess, the girlfriend of Johnson, had found out about the relationship, and Johnson told investigators that he and Nazario were together. Investigators looked through the phone data and tracked down that they were together before she was missing. Shows that their phones were at the Black Rock State Park area for 12 minutes, which is where the body was found. A forensic unit swept Rachel's apartment and found evidence of blood in the bathroom kitchen and a box of garbage bags similar to the bags the body was wrapped in.
0: You, I feel like we could do a whole podcast on that a beheading
1: beheading yeah it was not that much i had to search really hard for like what the motive was behind the killing because it was basically a couple man and a woman and of course rachel was just someone that looked pretty random until i found that about the phone evidence that was in court so interesting just hadn't heard of it it's in connecticut
0: so what's the jump from having a side check to murdering her with your girlfriend i know that's a crazy girlfriend It's gotta be because usually, I mean, it sounds morbid. It'd be the other way, right? (laughs) Yeah, if there's like a side chick and you don't want your, you know, your main chick to find out, you just would kill her on your own. But then, yeah, okay,
1: yeah, and it seemed like the just based off of um, the articles I read that the girlfriend of johnson was the one cooperating and had testified against him and he got i think 25 years so
0: that's so sad though oh beheading. you don't you don't hear if beheadings like here yeah. that often I know yeah that's really sad
1: very <laughs> say bye 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 Bo-dee-do.